Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is also sponsored in part by Uconnex. Uconnex provides managed services in the programmatic space for brands and agencies across the U.S. and internationally. It uniquely provides true transparency in the programmatic space by sharing how much of each campaign actually goes to publishers, platform, and how much is profit. If you are looking to better understand true working dollars or are just looking for an audit of your existing digital partnerships, visit them at uconnex.com. That's Y-O-U-C-O-N-N-E-X.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Sweets, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org. And don't forget to visit Marketing Cast to catch any previous seasons you might have missed of the CMO Suite or to check out other amazing podcasts in the industry. Once again, that's marketingcasts.com. Now, let's start the show. You're in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know, presented by Connectivity Holdings. You are listening to the CMO Suite. This is your host, Sean Halter. As a reminder, the CMO Suite is presented in part by Bid for Media. Bid for Media provides biddable media solutions for brands and agencies across the U.S. Visit them today at bidformedia.com. We are excited to have as our guest today, Fred Ale. Fred is the former CMO over at Jockey. He's also spent some time at Redbox and was the VP of uh, Chief Customer Officer over at McDonald's as well. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Nice to be here. Uh, thanks. So, now you're based out of Chicago, am I correct? I am. And did you grow up there as well, or where did you grow up, Fred? I grew up in between Chicago and Milwaukee, uh, in both places. So, here in the Midwest. Did not have to travel too far. No, exactly not. And did you go to school, I'm assuming, there as well? University, University of Wisconsin, and then I went to uh, graduate school down at Thunderbird in Phoenix. Oh, that's interesting. And so talk uh, just a tiny bit. We're going to jump into some of the really cool, interesting experiences that you've had because you've worked, it seems like, on both sides of the desk, per se. But talk about growing up a little bit there, kind of in the Midwest. It's it's interesting. You know, sometimes we don't really think of this country as broken up into lots of little parts or pieces, but Midwest brings just kind of a different sense of, say, sensibility in some ways than maybe some somebody who grew up in Dallas or out in California. And I certainly seem to be finding that kind of more and more as we talk to all kinds of different, you know, CMOs and VPs of marketing. So how did that maybe impact, you know, your role in marketing? Well, there's, a, there's an old uh, bromide that says uh, if it plays in Peoria, it'll play anywhere, right? And so I think that's part of being a Midwest marketer is you've got sort of that sort of middle ground sense of uh, whether or not a product or service or even a marketing initiative is going to play well in the middle of the country as opposed to the coast. I think there is that sort of grounding to it. But I think also, you know, it's the ability to really identify, I think, um, interesting creative. If you think about Leo Burnett, 
as an advertising agency and as a person. Leo actually was from Peoria and built one of the largest ad agencies right here in Chicago in the Midwest. So there is a bit of an ad community in the Middle West, obviously in Chicago. Minneapolis was a hot uh, creative place for a while and I think it's still coming back a little bit. So there is something here, I think at least in terms of understanding middle America as it relates possibly to socioeconomic, but I think also in terms of just sort of sensibility and, and being a little bit more down to earth maybe than some other parts of the country or other cities. You mentioned, Leo Burnett, you spent a little bit of time there as a, a senior VP of, of Group, uh, you know, in essence, I guess, as an account director. And so what did you work on while you were there? I love the ConAgra business there. So another Midwestern sort of CPG company. And that's where a lot of CPG agencies and, and companies were working together in the middle part of the country as well. So I think that's the other part of marketing is in the day, certainly consumer packaged goods was the stomping ground and training ground for a lot of sort of you know, marketers. And you know, to this day, it probably is maybe lost a little bit of its luster as a marketing training ground relative to alternatives, but I think it's still a great place to get sort of a well-rounded you know, grounding in, in uh, marketing and even general business management. And so it sounds like, again, to some extent, look, it's uh, you know, it's always admirable to have a New York-based agency working on some stuff. If you've got a West Coast group, you kind of know what you're probably going to kind of get with that. But again, perhaps to kind of bring your point to a full circle, if your brand is in the Midwest and it needs to play in the Midwest, sometimes there's a beauty in having kind of a Midwest group, you know, leading at least some of that uh, charge. Do you think that's changed over time or do you think that still kind of holds true to some extent? Uh, I, I think it's changed over time. I mean, I, at this stage in the game, I think now with marketing and with the digitization of marketing, you know, great ideas, great initiatives, great products or services are now really global. You know, as at McDonald's, I used to say to our owner operators, you know, a complaint, a customer complaint in a Boise restaurant can go global a press of the button. And so I think that's that globalization, that digitization of marketing is sort of, I'd say, flattened the world for the better more than I would say than not. And as a result, I think you can really pull from a lot of different places in order to get the best of breed. It certainly does increase the size of the microphone, so to speak. You know, it is pretty amazing to think of, you know, when, when both of us to some extent kind of got in this business. To your point, you could have somebody walk into a local restaurant in, you know, Austin, Texas, and that operator's going to have to try to figure it out. And, you know, hey, Jill, I'm sorry this happened. In, let's, but you know, Jill can now go across Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be entirely real. It can just be one side of the story, and the next thing you know, really, really grows into something perhaps that it's not. And so uh, that's certainly important. Let's talk about your parents for just a second. What did your dad do uh, growing up, or what did your mom do, kind of growing up, and did that play any role in, in, in you ending up in marketing? No, my dad was a banker, so he still doesn't really fully understand. He's a retired banker now, obviously, he still doesn't really fully understand what the hell we do in marketing. <laughs> or, or certainly when I was in the advertising business, when I was an account director, he sure didn't understand. He's, did you make the ads? No. Uh, did you did you place the ads? No. Okay. So what did you do? <laughs> There's something to be said for that. Well, I did something, Dad. I promise. I promise. Exactly. I'm, helping, I'm helping to grow this brand. So, exactly. as I said, you spent some time over there, at Leo, and then uh, you made your way kind of up and around into a few different places, and ultimately you end up at Pulte Group uh, for a bit. A group I'm familiar with that have had a big presence in Florida for quite some time. That's where I'm home based out of. Gosh, that was back in 2011, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but really in the industry, it was a decade ago. And at a time where, again, some growth was kind of happening or some pullback was kind of happening, I guess that was probably maybe just coming out of that last kind of bigger recession to some extent. So how did you end up with that group or what do you remember about your time uh, at you know, it, 
It's, it's, it's I, I remember Pulte fondly, and I will tell you exactly what the poll was. At that point in time, Pulte Group was still headquartered in suburban Detroit. So a lot of my friends were saying, why are you going to Detroit in 2011 to sell homes? And if you think about what the state of the auto business was then, state of the home building business was then, it was kind of the bottom of both markets. You know, it was the bottom of the homeowner crisis, mortgage crisis. Two of the big three had just come out of receivership. So if you're going to buy a house in Detroit, you better make sure that, you know, it's a company in town, that the autos come back healthy. And last but not least, I had the opportunity to work for a woman named Deborah Wall, uh, who was one of Fortune's 40 women to watch and a very charismatic and brilliant woman. And so the chance to kind of go client side to work for her, to lead brand, and to see that there's nowhere to go but up, both from the auto business, so my home value hopefully would increase, but also from a home builder standpoint, if we could make a branded offering in a business that is not typically branded, we'd get more than our fair share of the recovery, uh, was the thesis. And uh, it turned out to be true. Pulte was the fastest growing stock in the Fortune 500 in 2012. The auto business came roaring back, and I learned a lot working uh, for and with Deborah. What do you feel like you learned? What's one of those things? you know, that you feel like, gosh, I still look back and I remember that Deborah really helped guide us through X or is there is there anything particular that you might actually remember? I think it's just the vision of brand and brand in that case as a business model really defines sort of everything that we did in home building from where we bought land to the types of floor plans we put on it. If you have the consumer at the center of everything, then you start looking for land where the consumer wants to, that consumer wants to live and, and build a home where that, cons- that the consumer wants to live in. Prior to that, most of home building was really more focused on in finance and land deals. You know, we'll buy the land for a great deal, then we'll figure out what we build on it and for whom. And we sort of flipped the script there and said, no, why don't you start with who's going to move first and how big is that group? You know, where do they want to live and what do they want to live in? And then go at uh, you know land acquisition, which is typically where most home builders make their their biggest capital investment. So being around, being part of that, sort of helping to educate or show that the organization what the power of marketing and brand could mean was really important. And I think the other thing that I learned from her, especially, which served me well at McDonald's, was just stakeholder engagement, stakeholder management internally in the company. You know, our, our job was to be as much evangelist to our stakeholders and our partners inside as it is outside. And so to some extent, I see marketing as almost a service to its organization, as well as, you know, a big a driver of growth. You talked about stakeholders for just a second there. I feel like I'm having that conversation more and more with friends of mine that are in some interesting industries, healthcare and insurance being kind of two of those that really are still kind of these old ships in some ways. Certainly there's some that are more progressive out there, but there's a lot of them that are still doing things kind of the same old way that they've always done. Perhaps they've not necessarily lost a little sight of those stakeholders, but it's trying to figure out in today's age, how do I excite them? You know, in that insurance industry, how do I, how do I take these thousands of agents that we have across the country? We've already talked to consumers where they know who we are, but how do we talk to these people and make sure that they feel comfortable selling the product that in essence we've passed along to them? So I'm certainly trying to spend some time in this season thinking about that and trying to, you know, again, just provide good guidance to some friends of mine, not even clients, just friends of mine mm-hmm. who are really trying to kind of crack that nut at the same time the world doesn't stop traveling. It just keeps moving. Right. And then thinking back, and we're going to jump to McDonald's in a second, but thinking back to just what you said, you know, 10 years ago, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but I had almost completely forgotten about the car part of that crisis. I certainly remember the housing mm-hmm. part of it. But you're right. It's weird. You pause for a second and you look back. You know, my kids are upset. You know, Facebook goes down for half a day. Meanwhile, 
I've lived through some, right. I've th- lived through 9-11. I've lived through this housing crisis. I lived through the car crisis where it was like, okay, is this Rome? Like, I remember waking up one day and just thinking like, is this how it happened there? Are we headed there? I don't know. It's so strange. But ultimately, it sounds like, again, you had some great opportunity to really learn a lot with Pulte. And to your point, they certainly did go out and build themselves you know, a hell of a brand and a brand in that housing space that from what I remember a little bit, independently my side, you had some brands, but you kind of didn't really know what you'd get from neighborhood to neighborhood. And they certainly seem to kind of help streamline that and, and really build some value behind it. So you uh, depart there at some point and you end up over, I don't know, this little brand, it's pronounced McDonald's or McDonald's or something. Yes. Gosh. Little startup burger, little startup burger little, company. Little startup burger company. How those guys do? Um, yeah. a, a friend of mine is uh, just uh, got the position as the uh, CMO there for uh, for uh, McDonald's. So I know, Tar- I know Tarek well as well. Great dude. Uh, super, he, super he smart guy. Out. He too came out of the Chicago ad community and actually worked with my wife at uh, one of the major agencies in Chicago. So it's a small world. Isn't it? I mean, again, not to completely sidetrack and certainly we want to spend more time talking about him. I talk about him enough all the time. (laughs) Uh, But it is a small community sometimes. I feel like as I've done this podcast, I've learned that even more and more. It is a very small group sometimes considering how big the industry is. You know, that's six degrees sometimes from somebody truly. Absolutely, it sure is. And I also think that um, good work rises to the top. And then you end up again with this kind of smaller circle in some ways of peers and people that you can talk to and people, you know, again, when they're trying to think of, well, how, how do we solve this problem? Who's out there that we can kind of think of? So talk about your time uh, at McDonald's. And then I want to jump kind of straight into uh, a little bit about Redbox and your time at Jockey. And then, yeah. um, you know, what, what you're capable of talking about moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, so I was fortunate enough that Deborah asked me to rejoin her at McDonald's. So she, uh, on the basis of, of the success that Pulte uh, managed to be recruited to and join McDonald's as the US CMO. And I was fortunate enough to have her ask me to join her uh, in that capacity, you know, initially as customer officer within the marketing group. And then ultimately as we had a leadership change in the US uh, leadership had a broader remit to sort of impact both marketing and and menu innovation, um, and even some operational innovation because the customer role had uh, customer insights and customer experience reporting to it. But then I also was part of the initial build out for the CRM program and the initial um, led the initial team to looking at uh, McDonald's loyalty program, uh, which has now just been scaled recently across the country this year. But we started doing some of that initial work and I was fortunate enough to lead the internal team and do some of that initial work back then. Because again, that was another sort of remit where you know McDonald's had doubled in size over the 10 years prior. And then suddenly it got very internally focused in terms of how do we become more efficient and cut costs. And they took a little bit of their eye off the consumer and started to lose some business. And so we came in, she came in, and but a number of other people came in and said, how do we start to put the customer back at the center of, of the business? What does that uh, consumer want? You know, under the uh, U.S. leadership at that time of Mike Andres, we were hyper-focused on getting the food cleaner and better, um, more what the consumer would prefer. You know, how do we engage in consumer? Consumers on their on their terms, not our terms. So it started to turn the organization back, sort of outward again, and was part of sort of, of obviously a much larger group and team that started the transformation that then was accelerated under Steve Easterbrook's you know leadership and regime, and it continues on to this day under Chris K. So 
you then go from there into something completely different. You kind of uh, you head over to Redbox, which is a company that really I'm kind of fascinated by. I actually put a post up not too long ago. I was in the airport and I'm looking around. I'm just looking at real estate, and by real estate I just mean where are the chances for people to be able to kind of advertise and talk to people in kind of a unique uh, way. And I look at vending machines and I just think, gosh, that's such an untapped potential opportunity to get in front of people. And right. create an automated process. Uh, this was, you know, something for Kylie Jenner, which again, you know, wasn't it wasn't necessarily that I felt like, oh my gosh, this was such a great way for Kylie to sell cosmetics. But you're in front of a captivated audience. They're stuck in this tube, you know, usually for an hour or so, and there's all of this real estate. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's some rebirth potential for brands to kind of get involved. I hate to to say vending, but in essence, in in this automated structure. So, what was it about Redbox that interested you at the time to kind of head over there and be the VP head of marketing? Yeah, the, you know, Redbox was an interesting opportunity because at that point in time, and they still are briefly, but they're about to go public again under a SPAC, but they were owned by Apollo Capital and the private equity play. And there was some data suggest that uh, if we could remarket the brand, we might be able to sort of bend the trend line on, on a business that was seeing some pretty significant and obvious technological headwinds, but still was a pretty thriving business and, and um, very profitable business. And so I came in to lead a, a paid media test. And while we couldn't turn the, the, the bend the trend line enough to sort of pay out the investment, we did learn that there were some channels that, that did play. Conversely, in, in addition to that, we started to launch the on-demand uh, and streaming business. So how do we capture consumers' usage of, because they, they all interchange between discs and streaming, right? So if you can capture one of those streaming occasions, in addition to their video rental, um, you could expand the business that way. You know, the other thing that we did is we started to leverage a pretty established, you know, consumer base, which they've now put public around a 40 million people in the loyalty user base that we could then sort of leverage with other, you know, advertisers, things like Pop Secret and Totino's. We could provide codes for promotion and they could provide, you know, visibility to the brand. And so that was another sort of interesting pivot and where I you know, really started to Think about how affiliations and how partnerships can extend your brand and extend your awareness when you've got a little bit less you know, spend behind you, but still promote the brand and, and promote the brand experience. And that was pretty effective given the size of the loyalty program we had at the time and, and how they could sort of tap into that market as other advertisers and vice versa. So uh, it was... Yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes you never quite know the value of a product that you have when, again, the world is continuing to move around you and... You know, nothing in essence lasts forever to some extent. And so interesting to hear you talk about the word pivot and kind of where you guys were able to to take this this piece of value that you had and figure out, okay, well, we've got data, we've got loyalty, we've certainly a brand recognition out there. What do we take with the parts or pieces that we have? How can we still maintain some presence? I still think back to the days of Netflix and saying, hey, we're not going to send you these CDs anymore. And there were so many of us like, I demand you send me these. I'm going to cancel my $7 subscription. And boy, if Reed didn't just take a beating from that. And lo and behold, this guy just, I don't know. It's so funny when you see that sometimes you see this, either this pivot or you see somebody kind of saying, I know this is the right move. And so talk about what's next for you, what you can talk about. What's the what's the <laughs> area or industry that you feel like you want to start spending some of your time in if you feel you, like. You know, you know, Sean, for me, I think what's next is, and what's always important is, you know, does the does a leadership team or does a business really see marketing as a strategic driver of growth? You know, some businesses, marketing is really sales enablement and that's fine. That's what's necessary, perhaps in that vertical or in that business. But for me, I look at 
how do we draw how does marketing who has all the levers of growth can drive growth and then you know is there a product or service that's got some nice runway for growth or does it need a little renovation and you know when we came into Pulte it was sort of a little bit of a renovation McDonald's was a little bit of a renovation and so that's kind of fun to do a little bit of a brand renovation or even a turnaround to some extent and then you know I think you know, team a collaborative and team oriented uh, environment is really critical uh, I think marketing is team sport um, I think it's team sport across functions that's how you're most effective it's how you bring along stakeholders. There's a saying at Pulte that I really enjoy, which is sometimes you've got to go slow to go fast. And so I think that's a really important thing in this in this day and age is to have an, an engaged and aligned, not just leadership team, but also just an employee base. Um, so, I mean, there's more for me around principles from that standpoint. I think uh, it'd be interesting to get back into a a smaller private equity held back or back to you know company that's poised to go to the next level. I think that would be a lot of fun uh, to be part of something like that. But it can't rule out going to a you know a big iconic brand that might need a little contemporizing or renovation as well. So the nice thing is I've done I've certainly done that. Uh, but I think the fun thing at this stage in the career might be how do you take a you know decent sized business that's proved concept in the marketplace but has a lot more runway for growth if they you know, sort of invested much more in marketing. Well, and you talked about team sport. You know, that's the one of the most intriguing things. You know, to me about marketing. If you're in retail and you're selling sofas, uh, it comes in blue, it comes in brown. Marketing is so subjective in some ways. There's so many different areas. There's so many different elements. This youth culture that marketing requires to be involved is a different kind of youth culture than when we were that youth culture. And what they demand or see as value beyond just, yeah, I've got a paycheck, will be very, very interesting to me to see over the next couple of years as whatever this version of back in office ends up looking like mm-hmm. and how willing they are or are, are not to participate in that process and see the value in perhaps being in an office or out of an office, again, to me is probably one of the most interesting things I'm interested in kind of seeing how how does that how does that work through? Does talent always rise to the top or or what happens there? I, I think we are all living through the great experiment, right? <laughs> the, the, the great sort of work experiment in terms of what is, what is the next 12 to 18 months going to look like? You know, not, obviously not just for back to the office, but what, what, how is work going to continue to evolve? Um, and how is life going to continue to evolve after a cataclysmic event like this? Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And look, obviously there's a lot of sadness at what has happened and, and lives lost. And at the same time, if you are reflecting back on it a little bit, for me, some of that reflection has been these kids maybe were not all wrong, you know, mm-hmm. being able to podcast from the house or work from the house a bit or just realize that 80 hours a week perhaps is not what everybody's dream is, uh, does allow you, at least while you have your health sometimes, to be able to take a moment, take a breath, realize that the world is still operating, but it'll be okay with you, you know, with you taking your time and finding the right opportunity. Well, listen, Fred Ale, I greatly appreciate you spending some time uh, for us on the podcast. We're really looking forward to kind of seeing where, you know, where you take yourself to next. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. Nice to be here. Thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the CMO Suite. If you've never uh, uh, followed Fred before, you can find him on LinkedIn. That's how I tend to stalk people from time to time. And we want you to continue to listen to the show and throughout this season. So once again, thank you for listening to season six of the CMO Suite. Thanks for hanging out in the CMO Suite. The podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You're a C-level manager. You shouldn't have to know the difference between behavioral or contextual targeting. But your agency should. 
Uconnect provides brands and biddable teams direct access to platforms like the Trade Desk, Google, Amazon, Facebook, OTT, and more. Their U.S.-based traders can train your in-house team or provide complete transparency with no minimums and CPM-based service pricing for true transparency, something Mighty Hive, The Trade Desk, and Centro simply don't offer. Tired of being the smartest one in the room? Reach out to UConnex today for a free demo. UConnex, the world's leader in true, transparent, biddable media. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media, with choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org.